So you've just had exciting news. You've had the YouTube channel um, launching the COVID um, messaging in language. Yep. Yeah. So how's this process sort of been? And yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, well, we've been trying to get the message out to people. So we're looking for the what's the best platform to get it out on. Uh, we've had a bit of opposition getting it out in different ways. So we decided to turn the podcast that we uh, produced into videos. And uh, then we try to get them out all sorts of different ways. And and we realise that most people have got um, YouTube on their phone. And a lot of lot of younger people in North East Arnhem Land here are using that. So we said, oh, look, we'll set up a YouTube channel and make it easier for them. Mm. And just with messaging, look, it's happening. That blitz is happening right throughout. I know Congress is doing it um, within the town camps here in Alice. Um, mm. Yeah, what's been the most challenging aspect of the messaging that's been happening currently? Well, currently the messaging has caused the problem as far as I'm concerned. See, when you do... When you do short scripted messages from mainstream, and mainstream messaging is the one that's uh, being played out all over the place, you, you, it's like starting a, a book at chapter 20. Mm. You can't do work with uh, First Nation people who are English fifth and sixth language that, that way, or English second language that way. You, if you're going to get through to a, a group of people, then you've got to start with their questions, you've got to start with where they're at not where the government wants them to be, you know, five miles up the road. Uh, so if you come out with short, top-down scripted information, even if you get it translated in the first language, in many cases if you get it translated, it'll get translated not adequately because the even the translator is not fully understanding because they're starting at Chapter 20. So what we do in our education, which we, we call years and years ago we developed, a method of education called discovery education. In other words, where the people can investigate the subject themselves. And they start, we start with their questions. Now, it doesn't matter how crazy their question seems, a lot, it's, a, it's a valid question. And we answer that to the best of our ability, and that, that leads us to another question, and so on. So it's, it's a completely different rollout of messaging. So if you, if you went through the series of 30 videos that we've just put out, we used a team here, a, a co-production team of myself and uh, a number of young people. And we, we said, so what's the, what's the most important piece of question that everybody's asking out there? Uh, and they would come up with a question. We'd, we'd do the research around it. And then we'd uh, do a recording and then turn it into a video. So if you look at the series of videos, it, 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 it works. If you look at the series of videos, it works through a whole series of questions from the people. And if we did education that way, rather than the colonial method way that we're still using, where the dominant mainstream bureaucracy thinks they've got the answers for everything, uh, then what would happen is that the people would come up to speed and they'd be able to understand the short scripted top-down messages you know, come and get your injections, keep your family safe. And everybody's going, I don't even know if I can trust this injection because there's lots of misinformation out there also. I've noticed that too. The There's been a sort of late shift um, with messaging, really that, having a real emphasis on messaging and language. You're also 
cater to other language groups around the area, yeah? No, we mainly work with the people in northeast East mm. That's who I come to work with, uh, yeah, a long time ago and learned their language, and so we work mainly in that language. We work in that language. It's it's very difficult to work across a number of languages, but that takes us across a population of about 10,000 people. A lot of people in Darwin and even Catherine understand Yungamata. A few in Central Australia would understand Yungamata. Uh, not, not not many. Yeah, so mainly, mainly in the language of North East Arnhemai. What's been the main questions that have sort of come out of the, you know, conducting these sort of interviews with the with the people? Well, there's 30 videos there, and they probably cover, they probably cover 60 questions. So there's not one, it's, it's a, what I'm saying is that we need to let the people set the curricula. They set the, the uh, storyboard in the sense that you're moving forward on. And so there's not one main question. Each question is important. Mm. And what happens, you're building up, you know, educationalists talk about it all the time. It's called, you know, scaffolding education. You're building up your, your bottom line of, of information, answering the people's questions clearly. One by one by one by one, you come up into a pyramid where you can have a conversation at the top. Now, it's no good going to the top of the pyramid and having a conversation because what you do is you just add confusion upon confusion that's already there because people don't understand the fundamental underlying questions. And if they don't understand the fundamental underlying questions and you put down top-down messages, what you make is the problem worse. Now, I reckon right across the Northern Territory at the moment, if we just talk about the Northern Territory, all across Australia, but in many Aboriginal communities, you have people that are absolutely fearful about this vaccine. And if you keep coming and telling them they've just got to come and get vaccinated, keep your family safe and all that, and they're trying to work out what does this vaccine do for me? What does it do for my people? And they haven't got their first questions answered then what you're doing is actually causing the hesitation, the vaccine hesitation. In a population of people that usually don't have vaccine hesitation, we have caused the problem and we've opened up the opportunity for the conspiracy theorists, all the silly, silly rubbish that's coming through from all sorts of things. So in a sense, we don't, we don't deal directly with the conspiracy theorists or the, the anti-vaxxers, we just give people information by mm. answering their questions. Now, their questions could start like, why is there two names for coronavirus and COVID-19? What's the World Health Organization all about? Uh, why are English first language mainstream people frightened about this disease? Three very, very valid questions. Uh, they don't know about the plagues of Europe and things like that that caused uh, turned European history on its head. People don't know that, so we go back and we explain that. We explain why there's two words for it. What does COVID-19 mean? What does corona mean? We go back and we explain that. Now, that's important because the languages in Australia don't come out of Latin or Greek like English does. Mm. They come out of Sanskrit in India. So people 
don't get the picture like Corona and they're able to get some sort of imaging out of it. It just doesn't, the imaging just doesn't come. So we need to teach that information. Once we've taught it into the population, we don't have to go back to that again. It actually gives them a lot of information around that, which, okay, the word crown comes from this and so forth and so on and so on. Um, so it's letting the people drive the education. We've got to find solutions to bringing people on board, solutions that First Nation people, Territorians, can come on board rather than just treating them like some sort of appendix on the side, which we've got to manage. Now, to get away from this idea of managing the people from bureaucratic offices, and we've got to get out there and speak to people and start answering their questions. Now, the problem is there's not a lot of people who can do that, answer their questions in a way that is culturally competent and culturally safe. So my mum's from Yundamu, and yeah. the biggest issue that I've been seeing too, it's that, you know, just being inundated with news happening yep. around and like yep. really not, not paying attention. It's hard enough paying, trying to keep up with it in the media and then trying to make sense of it. And, mm. you know, cause I spoke to people in Will Kenya, um, yep. bloke down there and he said a major issue was the messaging that happened, especially with the side effects of, um, the yep. AstraZeneca and yep. that completely turned everyone off. Completely. Well, same same here in Arnhem Land. We had through the through the indigenous media, we had blood clot, blood clot, blood clot, blood clot, blood clot for about <laughs> two months. Yeah. Now, wow, and everybody, not a lot of people knew what blood clot was, but there was no information about the you know the the chances of you really getting it. You know, two people in the Northern Territory, if everybody got AstraZeneca, there was no no messaging about you know. If you get other medications, it can cause this too. Or you get on an aeroplane, you can get a deep vein thrombosis, you know, uh, or, or have an operation. There was there was no real information about it. We just went with this madness. And, and what we did was create the absolute environment for the conspiracy theorists to come in and say, uh, somebody is doing this, somebody's setting us all up and trying to control us and so on. Because obviously with the you know, the Territory Government's announcement trying to get the 80% threshold fully vaccinated by mid-next month, is it? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, I, I've been feeling that too with that sense of, you know, there's a, there is that element of pressure and, you know, hitting 80% and all these ideas, and even with Congress saying that, you know, because of their higher, younger demographic Stats, yeah. we need to have a threshold of like 90, 95% for the first yeah. thousand communities. Yeah, just getting your head around coronavirus and obviously not seeing what's happening over there, It's it's it also it, it feels like there's that element of we have that sense of security and yeah. we won't, you know, I, I suppose because we haven't really experienced a, 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 a breakout. Um, That's right. People are thinking, is this a disease of just, somebody else somewhere else in the world. But the other problem is people are not getting world news. They're not even getting national news. So, you know, out of all the leaders that I spoke to last week in Arnhem Land, one person knew, really knew about the crisis in New South Wales and Victoria. So people are wondering, why are they forcing this at us? 
And so people are becoming highly fearful now. Rather than slowing down and find out where the people are at, work from where they're at, rather than, you know, we just use the word percentage, 80%, 70%. There would hardly be oh, 95% of the people, but more than that, first language, Yongle speaking people who don't understand what percentage means. Yeah. They just don't understand it, yeah. right? Yeah. And so you're talking about what cats climbing up trees or something, and so they're trying to understand the message, and they're, but all they're hearing is this force, force, force. So we're going to put a lot more registered nurses out there. We're going to put a lot more doctors. We're going to have five people standing out there giving one injection soon. But we're not putting any communicators out there. I'm getting blocked out. I got blocked off all the committees in northeast Arnhem Land with 50 years' experience. We got blocked off the committees because all the Johnny-come-lately mm. who have never lived in a community, who don't speak an Australian language, and I'm talking about Australian languages, stop calling them Aboriginal languages, let's call them Australian languages, because mm. they're really beautiful languages, they're very highly intelligent languages. They've got concepts in them that don't even exist in English. They relate more to the Asian languages, yes, because they come out of that Sanskrit in India. But we are so backward in understanding First Nation cultures and the original Australian culture. And we haven't got the people trained in this area. Now, I've been pushing this stuff, this barra now for 40 years, and we get blocked because it's not the barra that the bureaucrats are pushing in their air-conditioned offices or wherever they're sitting. I think there's some good pollies around that really want to make a difference. But the backroom minders, they're just into control and try and control and how can we manage this problem out there? Mm. How about starting to think about how can we truly communicate with First Nation Australian Aboriginal people, let's call them First Nation people, in Australian, in their language? Have we even got the infrastructure? No, we haven't even got really good language centres and so forth that can do it. ABC can't even cope with this. You, you, you don't get... You very seldom get messages right back from the from the First Nation languages and all that off the ground, what people are thinking. Because as an Australian, it seems like we're still in colonial mode, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's totally removed. It's um... Yeah, totally removed from the reality. And it's costing the government an absolute fortune. The... Uh, the rollover of um, mainstream staff in and out of communities. They come in and they hit the wall and they bounce back out. The filling up of hospitals and the death rate of Indigenous people, like in northeast Arnhem Land here, we've got five times, five times the avoidable death rate, the avoidable death rate. And and some bureaucrats in Darwin quite like that because it means more federal dollars. Yeah. But what we've got to do is start thinking about is how do we include how do we include the First Nations people here as citizen original Australian citizens here in, in the territory. They're territorians, yeah. They've got a different culture, they've got an Australian language, not a European language. Uh, they've got a, a, an Australian culture, which is unique and fantastic, but it's dying today. And every time we come to an issue like this, whether it's coronavirus or local um, decision-making or, or whatever, we tend to not listen 
to the voices which are looking for solutions. The people want solutions too. We don't hear those voices. We just hear the gatekeeping voices all the time, the gatekeeping voices. Yeah, it, it is it is very frustrating. Um, and, you know, with, with that turnover you're talking about, I've seen a lot of, um, you know, even the money gone into like cross-cultural awareness training and... Um, I yep. just, I don't know, I, the way I've always looked at it was, you know, I, it's just, well, what has changed to this point? Like, why, why aren't there, why aren't there countrymen in these positions in their localised communities, you know, working from grassroots up? I don't know, yep. it's always been a major issue for me looking at it. Like, I've always, like, even going up to Unimu and seeing communities, it's like every managerial role is white. There's, yeah, there's, yeah. Just, there's just there's no exchange, and I don't understand why there's never been a, like a sense of exchange with developing these well, grassroots up. It's frustrating. Well, let me let, let let me respond to some of that. I think some of the main issues are some of the main issues, and it comes back to this original Australian language. We we in the territory, and we we could be we could be uh, leaders in this across the world in terms of cross-cultural, cross-language communication, all that sort of... We could be leaders in it, but we're not leaders in it. Uh, when I first came to the Territory in 1973, I was forced to learn language. Forced to learn language. I was forced to do cultural awareness and community development training. That's 1973, not, not 2021. <laughs> 2021... Nobody's told to learn language, whether in education, health, or, or anywhere. So we have a, a whole vacuum, in a sense. We have a whole, what's, what's the word? We have a, yeah, we just don't have the people who can help communicate. So what happens is the First Nation people who are speaking Australian, they've got to do all the hard work themselves. So if you just look at languages across the world, uh, English has been speaking with, uh, uh, other European languages for 2,000 years, you know, and English and G Greek and German or French and thousands of years. English speaking to even Chinese and Japanese, 400 years, right? English even speaking to Pacific Island nations like Tong and Samoan, Fijian, 180 years. Then if we start looking at English working with First Nation people in Australia, we get down to under 100 years in East Arnhem Land's only 75 years. And we don't have a language centre. So we don't have developed dictionaries. We don't have good backup interpreter training. And I mean good interpreter training. I don't mean the, the, the interpreter training that's gone on in the past. I mean good interpreter translation training and happening. It, it doesn't exist. And today with computers, it could be People could be at home and working as interpreters and training and all that sort of stuff. We want to employ people. That's the big area because when the fail to when we fail to communicate, all the problems occur. In the 1970s, we had people running the community at managerial levels. We had uh, town clerks. We had people in charge of uh, essential services. We had people in charge of roadworks and everything. Young people. Building, we had whole building teams. I used to pick up a building team and take them up in the bush. They stayed there the whole week by themselves, building houses, right? And what has happened? What has happened? 
government took over from these old structures. They were called old missionary structures. And then the government comes in and they say, oh, we can do it better. And one of the key things they've done not better, they've done terrible at, is that, they, oh, we don't need this language. We just get the people to learn English. We force them to learn English. We tell them that they must learn English. Do we create any English learning programs for any of these languages? Do you know of one? Say, Yundamu and the people there, Walpuri, is it? No, I've got the wrong one. Yeah, no, that's Walpuri. right. Yeah, you're on the money. Walpuri? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, Walpuri, is there is there a language course that Walpuri people could even go online or whatever in a school or anything, go on and get an English learning course from Walpuri to English? It doesn't exist. It hasn't existed across the country for 200 years for any Aboriginal language. And I'm saying it even should exist for even Aboriginal English people because they have a different grammar structure. Mm. If we if we set up the right tools for people to self-learn, they could fly because it's so difficult. For Yungo-speaking people, it's so difficult coming to English because they don't have any joining words in their language. They don't have the same sentence structure that's in English. They have a very complicated grammar system, which has more tenses than English does, and it even has uh, uh, more pronouns and so forth that, uh, that, that are not there in English. So it's not that the language is primitive, like many people in the education department will tell you. No, it's not. It's more sophisticated in many ways, but nobody's really looking at it. Nobody's really using it as a tool to advance people, to get the gap closed. You know, we did podcasts last year on closing the gap. One of the questions that people came up with is, what does this closing the gap mean? This was 10 years after the policy was put in place. And I said to the person who was asking, my, my young colleague, I said, how many meetings have you been to where government officials have been there talking about closing the gap? And he said, oh... <laughs> can't count them. Dozens. Hundreds, he said. <laughs> and he said, not only was I there, I was a chairperson. And he said, I was also the interpreter. And I said, and you didn't work out what closing the gap. And he says, I still don't know what it means today. And, and if you look at that closing the gap, and if you do the linguistic work on it, you find there's linguistic problems there and all that sort of stuff which you can work through which we did on podcasts, we worked through it. And but then then you find that what they're talking about is a statistical gap. Now, worldview for First Nation people who are English second language, they don't do a lot of statistics. They don't do a lot of graphs and all those sort of things. Yeah. You know, this number of numbers over here and this many numbers over here and the comparison between they don't do that stuff. It's not in their worldview. And so they were having trouble because the words that they were translating is like close up the space or close up the room or whatever, right? Just did not translate over into statistics. But none of those government people who went to those meetings, and they would have been well paid, mate, well paid, good superannuation plans and everything else. They'll come and go and they'll retire as grey nomads and drive all around this wonderful country, Australia. But not one of them had the skills to be able to say at any of those meetings to those people, hey, are you guys getting a clear picture here? And they could have even said that in English if they had that skill. Uh, the people would have said, 
uh, no, we've been to many of these meetings. We haven't got a clue what you're talking about, right? Mm. Ten years and how many billions of dollars? And we say, oh, we're spending this much money on the people. We're spending this much money on the people. But nobody's doing an analysis of the communication failure and some of the underlying things that are needed to, to close this gap truly. The communication gap, close the communication gap, you'll have the number of people in hospital. You won't have your code 11 that's happening. But I can't even get this conversation going. You're the first person that's rang us this morning. You can't even get this conversation happening in the Northern Territory. I'm not sure if we want to be true Territorians, right? True Territorians that see the original Territorians as real Territorians. We want to treat them as some sort of object that we have to manage. And we've got to stop that. We've got to find solutions. And part of finding solutions is do a good analysis of why communication is failing. Sorry, another long answer. No, look... Yeah, it's really, I'm really passionate with this space and, you know, because I, I look at it and go, look, in terms of the context of Australia, it's it's the most beautiful element, you know, we should be celebrating yep. our First Nations people. Like, you look around yep. every country on the planet, there's there's a sense of pride and joy with, within, you know, cultures. Yep. There, there is that respect there and it's just frustrating in Australia. I'm like, we have one of the oldest living cultures on the planet. Yeah. And that's still having a crack and we're not celebrating that it, and it really infuriates me. Same here, boy. Yeah, <laughs> Same yeah. here, man. Yeah, <laughs> I, just, no, not... I just go, I just go, oh, this is not rocket science we're talking about. It, yeah, to tool up and to have communication experts that, that could do this. But I've found that over my 50 years experience and so I've become an elder here now, uh, gone grey here, came with black hair and it's now grey, um, I found that the people who actually get close to the original Australians and actually start to understand their culture and language, you then get totally rejected because you've gone over into that other culture. You've gone over into that other language. And even though many people in Australia and the and the, and the the vibe right across Australia today is, you know, we want to understand our First Nation people. We want to know our First Nation people. But what most nations do is they destroy the original culture. They destroy the original language. They destroy the original knowledge, right? And then when it's almost all gone, they say, oh, we've got to get back again. It's like Wiradjuri people in New South Wales, where I originally come from. And uh, most people who were born in central New South Wales probably <laughs> had some Wiradjuri Wiradjuri uh, blood in them. Oh yeah. Uh, but 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 the thing is, we destroyed the Wiradjuri language, right? By cutting it out of education, making sure, telling people, whip people, whip people if they actually spoke it. Right? They were frightened to speak it in the open in the end. Then we waited for it to be totally gone, almost. It was only there in the recorded and a couple of people who spoke of a bit of Wiradjuri. Now we're spending millions of dollars to bring it back. Well, the Northern Territory Government is spending millions of dollars still today, unfortunately, to wipe out the original Australian languages in, in North Australia. Yeah, they say, no, we're, 
we're going back to bilingual right after you wiped away 30 years of good development in 2000 and what was it, eight or nine or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you wiped it way out. You took our schooling from 60% attendance down to 15. Mm. Uh, and there was not even, oh, we're sorry we did that. <laughs> And let's do a good analysis of it and let's put structures in place now where we can have some really good learning going forward. Can we develop, say, uh, for us, Yungamata de English learning programs that will be there for the next 100 years? You know, if you talk to a lot of Fijians, for instance, where did you learn English? You know where they learned English? On Fiji radio. On Fiji radio. You can Don't just roll it out to the kids. You roll it out to the whole community. Mm. where they're all starting to learn that high-level English. But it's so important that they also learn their old language is really important because what happens here in, New, in, in Arnhem Land, northeast Arnhem Land, is the old elders' language started to get pushed aside as primitive because the education department's not using it in the schools. Mm. They're not seeing it as an academic language. They're calling it the old ceremonial language, you know? Mm. Uh, and and so what we've been doing in Why Warriors and what I've been doing now for 50 years, I started working with elders back in the 70s, is that I've been learning that old language. And it's an academic language. It's a business language. It's a psychology, psychological language. It's, it's a biology language. We can go down to... In Yungamata, we can go down to even DNA in that language. If you look at our videos you'll see we go right down into the white blood cells and how they are the body protectors. So we're not just teaching people about COVID. We're teaching them about health literacy and how vaccines work in general and how some medicines work. And people will then also see some of the disease causation, so the cause and effect of disease. When you're trained, like I was trained in the 70s, to do community education, the key thing is to start from where the people are at. The next key thing is you don't do education with the people until you get them to educate you, until you can start mm. seeing the world through their worldview, we call it, through the way they look at the world. And only when you do that and you learn other strategies for good community education... You start an education process, not just for a brain drain of a few kids, which you take away, and your government spends millions of dollars on sponsorship. And what happens to those kids? We don't even see the analysis of what happens to most of those kids. Most of those kids come back and collapse because they're like the people from Papua New Guinea. People from Papua New Guinea get up to year 12. They're doing fantastic. They come to tertiary education, they come to universities in Australia, they hit a brick wall because they have no dictionary. Chinese people can come into Australia, they go to university, in a few minutes they can type into their computer 32,000 English words and get the Chinese words, Chinese meaning for them. No first language person who doesn't speak the colonial language English, can do that in Australia. So we wonder why the kids go off to school, they go off to high school, a lot of them come back, hit a brick wall, and they end up as itinerants. They end up as itinerants in capital cities all over the country. They're lost now between two cultures. Uh, and they 
are not a benefit to the society and not a benefit to themselves or to their families. They actually create a lot of conflict with their families because they come back and they fight the traditional leaders. We're in colonial mode. We've got to come out of colonial mode and we've got to start thinking, how do we do this properly? Now, it's been done across the world, Africa, South America, many, many places across the world doing it properly where you bring the whole community up together. You do community education with everyone. That's what our videos do. We're still scrambling to get the videos out to everybody. And uh, every time we try to get them out, somebody out there who's got control, well paid by government dollars, they don't see the value of people getting answers to their questions in their own language and through their own worldview. And they stop the process. In one way. And they say, no, no, we've just got to talk about vaccines. So they send in another doctor to just talk about vaccines, just about getting vaccine. No, no, no. Don't start at Chapter 20, guys. Come back to Chapter 1, the mm-hmm. first question of people. Work through that. Then the next one, the next one. Yes, it takes a bit longer. It'll probably take 10 times longer than you just putting out your short messages or even 100 times longer than putting out. Best. Guess who's going to win the race? Mm-hmm. Slow and steady. The tortoise wins the race, not mm. the hare racing around all over the place with their silly messaging. Oh, yeah, you're on the money. Um, and um, yeah, because I've seen what am I? I'm 29, young buck. Yeah. Um, yep. and you know I've been in that that limbo space like you're talking about, where yep. you know I speak Walbury and I speak English, and trying to find the balance. And you know, like I've looked at, I've worked within schools here and. And looking at schools in some of the local communities around, um, and they've had an emphasis. I, I saw the wave and looking and and doing research on it, but looking at bilingual bilingual schools, bilingual, to, you know, yeah, bilingual. the two way yeah. learning, um, yeah, the model that they had, and I went to Ibrinya and like literally that that only allocated an hour of language, yeah. and I I was always yeah. scratching my head like why isn't the emphasis on yep. Language yeah. first, because we're going to mm. learn English regardless. Mm. We're going to learn it. But yeah. we have a strong, solid foundation with language and writing in yeah. our own language and reading in our own mm. language is going to really pave the way. But then they've got rid of that and then they bought in the bloody DI. Yeah. And I'm like, then I looked at that and that was just ridiculous. That was, and oh, then, that, oh. That, that was the greatest waste of money ever. And yeah. Because it just destroyed schooling right through direct instruction. It, it is the most paternalistic methodology, and unfortunately, it was even pushed out by some Aboriginal people. Yeah. Uh, and but see, we didn't even, we don't even do bilingual education properly. We've used the worst model. First three years of, of of schooling, and I remember talking to an education minister years ago, Sid Sterling, and he came into my office, and I'm saying, Sid, you've got the stats right in front of you. What happens to the kids after year three? He says, oh, they drop straight off. And I said, yeah, because now you've forced them over into the colonial language. And they, they can't cope with it. And what, what happens to these kids if they can't cope? You know, we just got the reports out this morning. You know, the number of kids going into detention. We're doing, we're doing all that wrong, too. The number of kids going into detention is doubled, yeah, right? That's right. And talking to a young 12-year-old, it's on my pod, one of our... One of our newsletters releases last one, I think, uh, talking with a young 12-year-old. And I said, what do you think about it? Do you like school? He says, yeah. And I said, when did you last go? Oh, about six months ago. Mm-hmm. So you're having trouble at school. He said, oh, it's really hard. 
why is it hard? Well, they speak in English all the time, and I don't understand what they're doing, what they're talking about. And then, then I said to him, "How does that make you feel?" And he said, "Nangoyach," which is like rotten to the depth of my soul. Mm. Now we're spending money to make that kid think that way. Now he's become a petrol sniffer. He's involved in breaking entries, and he is now hitting out against the mainstream. So we've radicalised him to the point where where he just hates the mainstream world, hates Ballander, they call it here, English first language people, doesn't matter what mm. what uh, nationality they are, and he just hates them now. Now, we never heard that from young people. We never heard that from Aboriginal people in Arnhem Land for, what, 20 years, first 20 years of me being here. That was never heard. I never heard of 30 years. I've only heard in the last 20 years where now young people actually saying they hate the mainstream system. And, and, and when I talked to him about it, it was all about he couldn't handle English and it made him feel so bad. Did you, do you want to learn English? Oh, yeah. I'd love to be able to understand English. So I showed him a few things on one of our platforms on jumbhmaram.com. I showed him some things on there, and it's only simple things at the moment because we can't get funding for it. But we want to actually create a Yungamatati English learning program, which is open source. It's not just in the education department with them controlling it in their schools. and that. It's open source for the whole community to learn from. And then hopefully get that same material once you do it in one language. It'll be simple to do over in Walpuri or... Pigeon jar. Yeah, you create this, plant the seed. Yeah, create a create yeah. the recipe. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that will solve problems. That will save government tens of millions of dollars. It'll it save government embarrassment of having to have the rate of incarcerated kids double in a year. Wow, you know, even even what they did in Alice Springs, then right? They put in that drop-in centre. Yeah. Mm. As soon as I saw it, I thought. Well, this is going to put their stats right through the roof. All the wrong stats. <laughs> Double the crime rate yeah. around that drop-in centre. Because what you're doing is absolutely rewarding bad behaviour. Now, when we worked with petrol sniffing back in the 70s, and we've sold petrol sniffing in, in one of the communities I was in back there, and there's still no petrol sniffing there today. There's none. Just stunned because the people now moved past that. They're in control of it. They know what it's about. I don't know what petrol does to your body, your brain, all that sort of thing. Yep. They've got all the primary underlying information dealt with. So when I saw that, I thought, whoa, gee, that's the wrong approach. What your approach to deal with with uh, with children on the streets is to get in there and do some good community development and start to build connections back in the family. But you've also got to deal with the what we call the mystification or the confusion that young people have got. Like if they think that white people just can get money, cars, anywhere, you know, and, and most of them think that. They think the government can just print money and make us all millionaires because nobody is teaching the whole community good economic knowledge and so forth. Like in the old days, people traded across this country. They were economically literate. They were economically literate. They traded internationally in Macassar for 400 years. And they traded from Central Australia. They traded boomerangs came from Central Australia right up here into Arnhem Land. Red ochre that came from Central Australia was highly valued up here in Arnhem Land. And what went back into Central Australia was uh, steel uh, spearheads and objects and axes coming through 
from the Macassan trade and other things coming through the Macassan trade went right down to the Great Australian Bight, right? It's recorded, being seen by Daisy Bates and other, seeing these items come from North Australia. People were economically literate 100 years ago. And then Europeans came in with the colonial mindset and they said, oh, we're dealing with primitive people. They don't know anything about business. Yes, they knew all about business. And we can see it in the language of Arnhem Land today. They've got economic terms that don't exist in English. <laughs> economic terms yeah. that don't exist in English. Yeah. And, and, and commerce terms. So it's there in the language. It's 40,000, 50,000 years old. But nobody knows that. We still think we're dealing with a primitive people that we have to manage rather than find out where are the, where are the gaps and how can we close up those gaps. And then when people, like I used to know years ago, you could go and learn another language and you get paid more as a bureaucrat, right, if you learned Indonesian or something else. Now, I don't know what, where it's up to today. But if you go off and learn an Australian language, do you get an increase? No. Hmm. You go off and learn Australian culture. Uh, like we had a guy here in East Arnhem Land who was doing disease control for years and he knew the Australian culture, he knew a bit of the language, and he could go out and trace down, you know, STI problems or whatever, or TB or whatever. He could go out and trace it down within minutes. Did he get paid more for that? No. He got paid the same as a Johnny-come-lately that just turned up here. Uh, who knows nothing about the people. Uh, and so what I'm saying is, with a bit of good, sensible thinking, we can actually find solutions. Rather than look at the problems, find the solutions and start to implement them over a few years. You'll find the turnover rate of staff slows down because people... If they were forced to learn a language, they'd stay longer, they'd start to understand their people, they'd be able to communicate with the kids in the classroom or in the clinic or wherever. They'd lose the fear of the people, uh, not seeing them as primitive or whatever. They would learn fantastic original Australian culture and original Australian language. They would become more Australian, and that would be great because we could celebrate that. We could do it all different. Joseph, Joseph, we could do it all different. That's what I'm saying. No, look, I, I'm completely on the same train, very uh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. And you've been there, mate. You've been yeah. there. And you've, been, you've been in the same environment that I've worked in for 50 years, and, yeah. and, and you've been bitten by it, and you've, you've scratched your head about it, and all those sort of things. Yeah. I've been scratching my head a bit longer than yours, that's all. Yeah, no, look, um, I, I respect the head scratching. Um <laughs> And but yeah, the the main issue has been yeah that there's like t I think people coming in have to be genuine, and I think there's a yep. lot of manipulation that's still occurring. I think there's a lot of people coming to get that that the genuine Aboriginal experience. Um, yeah. But you know, there's sort of a prong effect. I feel like this. I think you, if you're genuine, you're coming in and you want to learn more. Um, yeah. And you're doing you're coming in the right manner. Um, yeah. That's really good, but also, it, there's a massive vacuum there where, you know, there's no accountability. There's a lot of people coming into Absolutely. these remote communities, and nobody knows what they're doing. And and yeah. and the whole Australian context is, yeah, how do we instill 
the value of the First Nations people, the culture and languages, because yes. there's so much more to learn. There's yep. there's incredible things there that it's it's frustrating when, you know, it's always secondary. The emphasis is always yep. mainstream yep. English. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just frustrates me because it's 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 so exciting. Like for me, learning learning about other other languages, other tribes. My brother-in-law yes. yeah. was he in Diliakwa um, from yeah, Peru. Diliakwa. Yeah, that yeah. one. And then um, see, well, Alan Diliakwa. Alan Diliakwa is a prefixing language, where Yungo Matu is a suffixing language, and teach, teachers don't even know that. Oh, it's beautiful, oh, and that's probably right. the most my my favourite language. It's the most beautiful <laughs> language I've ever heard. Yeah, the, the poetic languages, many of them. It's just beautiful. beautiful, and yeah. yeah, but that's that's sort of why why yeah, it's frustrating because it's yeah. How do we how do we get how do we instill that value of First Nations people around Australia? Because we're being well, we're going to we're we're working at it, and if people are interested, you can go to our site whywarriors.com.au. We're kicking butt in this area. We're putting stuff I put out about. Oh, I try to put out a hundred Q and A's on Miss Miss Buster's sort of Q and A stuff. You got to put up with my stupid face and all that sort of stuff. But we're we're going to do more of it. We're going to put more stuff out, which actually speaks to exactly what you're talking about. How can we get the value given back to the the original Australian cultures and languages and all that? And and we've, we're just going to keep at it, keep at it. But you can go to whywarriors.com.au. And uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff there. And click onto our our uh, newsletter because we'll be trying to put out stuff. We're trying to put it out every month. Uh, we've got a massive workload, just trying to keep people alive, mm. and uh, and deal with some of this confusion that's just caused by people who are coming, well paid, and a lot of them are coming now just for the money. Uh, that's the reality. Uh, because we've got a big mortgage back down south or something, so they come up here and get some big dollars. Mm. Uh, we've got to work past those people and get the people who really want to learn culture, really mm. learn language, put some money into them. Don't just put all the money over into recruitment. Put the money into them and build up their skilling so that the communication, two-way communication starts to flow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and then get over them to cha- exchange and develop the yep. grassroots mob locally so you don't That's need right. them. <laughs> That's right. And yeah. then that will... That, that's when the grassroots people pick up, see, mm. because I spend all my time on the phone every day with them, answering their questions, answering. I said, why have you got to just come to me? Isn't there somebody else? There's no one out there, mm. no one else that we can ring up and ask you, what does this English word mean? What does this mean? What are they talk, government talking about with this? What is coronavirus about? Why is it COVID? Mm. Why is it COVID-19 and coronavirus? What is, uh, what is inside the injection? You know, why, why are you people frightened of it? Mm. Uh, why is the government so worried about it? this? Now, now, why is the government... Uh, what's this delta about? Is this another disease? Mm. People are going, right? Mm. So we talk. We have to talk about mutation and what happens. Yeah. And they know about mutation. They've seen the animals. They've, they've seen that animals get stronger or weaker and mm. so on. So they can understand it easier. They understand it easier than most first language English people do. Mm. Uh, so it's not a problem of their understanding. It's, it's a problem us in the mainstream who have got control because of the use of English, yeah, just looking at things a different way. That's what I'm saying, yeah.